The following production was originally produced by Cath 910AM, the Guadalupe Radio Network. And we are back. This is the Good News Show here on KTH 910AM, Guadalupe Radio Network on a cloudy, cool Monday afternoon here in North Texas. And uh, continue to please pray for the folks down south. You may have heard my interview with uh, Joe McClain at the beginning of the program. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, a couple of months ago, Ellen Rossini from the Development Office and Dr. Uh, Jonathan Sanford came in and we talked about uh, how can we more uh, regularly highlight the, the great uh, uh, continuity and uh, working together relationship between the University of Dallas and Guadalupe Radio Network. And we decided every fourth Monday to have this segment where Dr. Jonathan Sanford, the dean of the Constantine School of uh, Liberal Arts, uh, basically the whole undergraduate school, would come in, pick his own guest, his own topic, and kind of take it over. I'm still here, but he kind of kind of leads the charge for the second half of the show. And that's what we're doing. And uh, it's very well organized, and he does a great job. So I'm going to turn it over to him and uh, introduce him. And, and by the way, I wanted to mention, uh, first of all, uh, thanks for coming in, uh, Dr. Sanford. My and pleasure. congratulations. I got this, uh, Laura Kuhlman sent through this press release, College Life for the University of Dallas's freshman class, uh, 420 students, the biggest freshman class in the history of the school this year. So that, that's good news. It is good news indeed. And it's such a pleasure to be with you again, Dave. Thanks so much for this opportunity to talk about what we do at the University of Dallas. And and just to remind our listeners of, of what our, our goals are, we, we want to take what we do on campus and, and share it with our, our listening community here, those who are tuning in to CATH 910, and uh, bring them up on campus, so to speak. So the way we've structured the program is focusing on the cardinal virtues. So we, we last time, last month, we talked to Dr. Aida Ramos about justice, which is one of the, the cardinal virtues. And this time we're going to talk about prudence, um, which in many respects is the master cardinal virtue. And, and, I, and I was thinking of some way to, to introduce the, the theme. And uh, the cardinal virtues, of course, come from this Latin term cardinal, which means the hinge. They're the hinge on the door of a life well lived. And we often can get caught up in thinking about how we can acquire the virtues, cultivate the virtues, and indeed we want to do that. But the goal of life is not having the virtues. The goal of life is acting virtuously, mm-hmm. right? And so we we hope that by focusing on these cardinal virtues and the disciplines that um, are connected to them in a principal way, we'll encourage the listening public and ourselves to um, be not just more virtuous, but to act more virtuously. So it's, it's my great pleasure to have Dr. Richard Dougherty, who's the chair of the politics department at the University of Dallas. He's a long-serving faculty member at the University of Dallas. He's also the director of the graduate program of, in politics at the University of Dallas. Uh, we have both a Ph.D. and a master's level program in addition to the undergraduate program. And I thought I would I would begin by asking Dr. Dougherty, who's, who's taught quite a bit on St. Augustine, and today, of course, is the feast day of St. Augustine, um, about what drew him into the the uh the the sphere of political science and and um does saint augustine have anything to do with that uh yes <laughs> as a matter of fact it does uh so thank you uh, uh for the invitation uh dean sanford and thank you dave for for hosting this is a delight to to be back here um I suppose I would say what drew me originally to the study of politics was uh, trying to answer the question I think that we're all trying to answer, and that is how should we live, um, and then ultimately how should we achieve eternal life. And uh, for me, uh, in academics, uh, what struck me most was uh, 
classes in, in politics, which I took as an undergraduate at Belmont Abbey College, uh, where I had a, a professor who introduced us to reading great authors and great texts. Um, and in fact, my introduction to reading St. Augustine was actually in a course in political philosophy. Uh, and it seemed to me that uh, reading these authors, I didn't yet know which ones were the good ones <laughs> and, right. and which were not. Um, but it, it didn't really matter in a way because what I got exposed to was uh, reading great texts by great authors who gave insight into human nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I learned a great deal from them. Uh, and, and as I said, one of them uh, was uh, was St. Augustine. And that really sparked uh, a lifelong interest uh, mm-hmm. in, in the works and, and life and, and writings of, of St. Augustine. Now, we, we, when we think of politics, um, we often conjure images of, of people fighting on on floors of, of uh, the house and, and or people grandstanding or, or people um, uh, doctoring political commercials, trying to, to gain votes. Um, but that's not what you are focused on in, in your study of politics principally, is it? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Uh, th- now, those are certainly political things. Mm-hmm. And they are things that uh, if one wants to learn about the political process and the way that uh, certainly American political, uh, po- political process works, you need to pay attention to those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I say the easiest way to describe what we do is we read great books and we talk about them. Yeah. Well, that sounds pretty fun. We, we do a lot of that at the University of Dallas. Not just that. I, you know, it's, it's important for people to realize we, we also have science majors and, and, uh, we run experiments and, but indeed, the uh, principle to our, our education is the reading of great books and talking about them. But, um, when, when you're reading a, a great work in the political tradition, what what is the the principal question that um, you seek to have answered through that work? Well, I guess the guiding question really is uh, uh, in it, the dominant question really is uh, how do we attain our end? Mm-hmm. Right? And our, our end is happiness in this life, and uh, and so uh, we think then about um, the ways in which we can achieve that happiness. Uh, and I'll, I'll use Aristotle, for example. St. Thomas repeats much of what Aristotle says here. Uh, so Aristotle says we can achieve our end, which is in part the acquisition of virtue, um, by one of three ways. Uh, we can have a natural disposition to it. Uh, we can have a very good teacher. <clears throat> uh, those two things, though, depend upon chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third thing he suggests, then, is we can have good laws. right? And good laws... Uh, mean that we pay attention to how we promote uh, the cultivation of, of virtue in the citizenry. Uh, and so he devotes then an extraordinary amount of time and effort to thinking about how you construct laws in such a way that they, in fact, promote the virtues. So as you say, it's not just a, a question of knowing what the virtue is, but it's practicing the virtue. Right. And for that, law is absolutely essential. Right, right. Okay, and that, that helps to distinguish, I suppose, a, a question that I was I was uh, beginning to, to think about, which is, you know, I, I can read a work of, of fiction and ask the question, you know, uh, how does this direct me to my end? I can read a work of epistemology or theory of knowledge and, and um, ask the same question, how does this direct me toward I toward my end? But but within politics, the the question is focused on the law in in a particularly significant way. Is that the 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 mark of distinction between uh, a work of of political science or political philosophy and and another kind of work uh, yeah in 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 large part i would say yes 
Um, but in order to know uh, how to make a law and how to make a good law, uh, you have to know human nature. Mm-hmm. Right? So you have to know how human beings act and react in a multiplicity of, of uh, ways and circumstances. Uh, and so I'd say that broader understanding of the, the genesis of human action really is central to what looks like perhaps a relatively minor interest in the making of law. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Well, let's let's come to prudence now. You know, this this cardinal virtue. Would Would you mind telling us what you think prudence is? That's yeah, easy, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, yeah, so prudence is. Uh, I would say it's it's both an intellectual and a moral virtue. In a way, right? So it's it's an intellectual virtue because you have to know something in order to and and, and know it well, right? In order to act prudentially, um, but it's not simply an intellectual virtue because it is also devoted to the question of action, right? So the 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 principal uh, end of of prudence is in fact action. Uh, so the question is, how do you understand the principles of action and then? Uh, and then particularize them in a in a given set of circumstances. So how and doing that is what is what prudence is really focused on. So how do we understand the principles of action? Where where do we get those principles from? Is that connected to the the natural law? I would say yes. So uh, the, those those principles we can know by means of reason. Uh, if, for example, in Saint Thomas's uh, account uh, of 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 prudence, um, but I would say it's also so that they are knowable uh, in principle um, by means of reason. But for most people, they don't actually know them by by principle. Uh, most people know them in one of two ways. I would suggest one way is the law. So they think of many people will think of the law as the uh, system of moral virtue. Or maybe they maybe they wouldn't call it virtue. A system of moral action. And if they follow the law, then they're acting morally. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, of course, isn't true. Um, but many other people, of course, get their understanding of those fundamental principles from their religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's the reason why I think St. Thomas devotes so much time to the question of laying out the understanding of human law and the divine law. Because for most people, I think that's the that, that's the derivation right. uh, of their understanding of those fundamental principles. Now we're, we're talking a lot about um, St. Thomas Aquinas. We mentioned St. Augustine. We mentioned Aristotle. Um, what about today? What do most people look to um, religion and the law for their their uh, moral framework? Um, do most people understand prudence to be as, as you've described it to be in today's day and age? What, what, what's the common or what, what's the current state of prudence? Yeah, it's, uh, uh, prudence is not in a good way uh, today, I would say. Uh, no, I, I think the, the contemporary understanding of prudence um, is largely, and I may have to generalize here, but I think it's, it's largely uh, constricted to a sense of caution. Um, that we describe someone as prudent who doesn't say something, um, who doesn't anger other people, um, who uh, doesn't say, doesn't make a, a fuss uh, in public or in private conversation about things that, that was really prudent of them. And that's just not the classical understanding of prudence. The classical understanding of prudence is doing the right thing in the right way at the right time in the right manner. Right. So you have to think of all of those things. It's, it's actually, it's an action. Right? 
which, which is which means it's not simply a prohibition, right. which I think is a common uh, common contemporary understanding. So, how did we arrive at this common contemporary understanding, and what does it portend? Um, uh, how did how did we arrive there? Um, I think we arrive there in part. It, this actually gets back to the second question, which which you just asked, and that is, uh, where do people get their understanding of, of prudence today? Um, I think a general uh, lack of a common language mm-hmm. for understanding uh, what prudence is, uh, and that, of course, then uh, produces the lack of a common understanding uh, of what prudence is. Uh, that I think is is really the fundamental source of the problem, um, but I think it, I think in general it be, because it is a virtue. I think in, one might say it's also a, it, there is a sort of natural inclination to it uh, because it is because it is a virtue that people do in fact see it all the time and they exercise prudence all the time even when they might not describe it as that. Yeah, you think they exercise it all the time? Uh, <laughs> In, in one way or another, that, that, that is, they act. Uh, they act in a way. Let me put it differently. They act in a way by which we can measure their actions by, on the basis of prudence. Yeah, they, what, see, they seem to be acting prudently in the, in the classical sense or the traditional sense. Yeah, and, I think and yet they, they don't know. They don't know what to call the way that they're they're analyzing a situation and and what motivates the action. It seems mysterious in some respects. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's largely right. So an example of it, I, uh, just over the weekend, right, with the with the horrible flooding uh, down in the in the coastal region, um, watching some of the recoveries that people are engaged in, I have no doubts, but that all kinds of people uh, down at the, at the coast are violating the law. Mm-hmm. They're taking their boats out. You know, they don't have all of the safety measures on it. You know, I'm sure there is probably an ordinance about not driving your boat down the street. Um, right. So, so in other words, the law is there, right. uh, and the law is normally a guide. Uh, but we also recognize that in extraordinary circumstances, there actually is some higher good right. uh, that we're going to be guided by. And there, I think they are in fact acting prudentially, and not simply on the basis of what the law says. Right. And here, there, we see a connection between prudence and justice, or equity, as a as an, a, an adjustment to the law. There's a particular virtue of equity that that prudence can exercise. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So the yeah. classic example of, you know, a father driving to the hospital as his wife is about to give birth and, you know, do you give him a speeding ticket or not? Uh, right. <laughs> right. <clears throat> no, the answer is no. <laughs> so I, I, I also, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to cut in. I, uh, for those who are listening, I just want to remind everybody, this is the Good News Program, and uh, you're listening to what we call the the University of Dallas segment. And I, I just enjoy watching uh, pro- professorial minds at work. It's kind of well, fun to see how, how you all really uh, just use your great intellects to, to, to kind of dissect this topic. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Sanford is the dean of the Constantine School of Liberal Arts at University of Dallas, and his guest is uh, Dr. Richard Dockerty, the uh, Head of the politics department, right? That's and right. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the conversation. <laughs> great, great. Well, we were we were just talking, um, if, if you just tuned in now, about prudence and um, prudence as it's understood in the tradition and prudence as it's often understood now. And Dr. Doherty was just making the observation that people are often exercising prudence, but um, they don't know to call it prudence because prudence has been downgraded to this excessive caution and uh, a, a kind of, of um, mediocrity 
um, rather than a, a virtue that that properly understood directs you to what's best and right in the given circumstance. I, I was also thinking when when I had asked the question before about the um, the the story, the narrative about how we got to a point at which prudence is treated as this this excessive caution um, and in the sense of a personal responsibility that people bear. Uh, there's a an important Catholic moral philosopher by the name of Alistair McIntyre, who who makes the the claim that um, many lay people, um, that is to say, he calls them plain people who are not necessarily philosophically educated, um, but they're they're interested in in society um, and want to make sure that that they exercise their responsibilities well. Feel nevertheless as though many of the the responsibilities that used to be borne by citizens in this country and and elsewhere have been offloaded. Um, they've been outsourced. They've they they leave it to the experts, people who who run. Um, institutions of governance, uh, people who who run agencies that swoop in, but I, I think this this catastrophe down in Houston is is a, a prime example of of people stepping up and taking responsibility. But do you, do you have a sense, Doctor Doherty, whether it it uh, there's been a shift in terms of people's sense of personal responsibility? Are we um, do we feel less responsible as a as a uh, a class of of citizens in the United States than we once did, or is this a, uh, an unfair characterization of our of our current situation? No, I think that's largely accurate. Yeah, you know, that that uh, you know, essentially the the lar- one might say the larger the domain of uh, public action uh, by what we call the government. Uh, the smaller the domain of private action, mm-hmm. uh, and for for good or ill, I think people do tend to to think that well, if that's a we have a we have a public program for that, then it's not something that we ourselves have to be involved in or need to be involved in. We're we're paying our taxes after all for this kind of thing. So I would say actually, uh, I watched this morning uh, a, um, a news conference held by. Uh, Someone, I think, from FEMA in, in Houston, and he mentioned, um, I, I forget, I, I'm sorry, now I'm going to forget the name of the group, but there is a, a national volunteer group for uh, AIDS and disasters. It's a, they have a, a NVOAD, I think something like the AID. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I went on their website, and it's an amazing collection of private and some public-private institutions that that's what they do when disasters like this happen. Uh, they they kick in, so it include things like the Red Cross and mm-hmm. uh, Catholic Relief Services, etc. Um, that's really a wonderful thing. It is, and, and I'm glad also that he mentioned it. And, and he, in fact, that was the first thing he said was for you citizens, right, who want to help out, go to this website because it's well organized, etc. Right, great, good, yeah. And, and I think one one of the benefits of of thinking about the cardinal virtues and one of the the points of organizing this segment on the the Good News Show um, around the cardinal virtues is that um, it at least in, in my case, it, it awakens me to the kind of responsibility I really do bear, you know, certainly within the, the public sphere, but also as a teacher, as a, um, a father, um, as a, as a husband and as a member of a parish and so forth. We were all called to exercise the, the virtues in our, our day-to-day life. Nobody can do that for us. There's, there's no, there's no outsourcing of, of that personal responsibility. <laughs> I'd like to shift um, the focus of our conversation a little bit now to to uh, the connection between prudence and politics when it comes to those who hold positions of of power um, within 
governmental institutions. What um, what what does prudence look like on on that stage? Is it different than the prudence that I ought to be exercising as a as a private citizen? Yeah, this also I think is related to a point you made before about. Um, the shift in the understanding of, of prudence. So the shift, I think, is in, has been in part a result of replacing prudence with what we generally would call calculation. Mm-hmm. And those are not, it's not the same thing. So we can think, we think and act prudentially all the time uh, when we decide about our education, our future, the budget of our household, et cetera. Um, but, but prudence on the larger scale is really exercised by those who have a position of authority in the community. And that's because they have a concern for the common good, uh, which we as individuals have a different understanding of it. That's not our focus. It's within the household or, or individually. Mm-hmm. So in practice, the way that one might see this uh, working out is uh, if you think about, say, the contemporary debate uh, we've been having for uh, a couple of years anyway about the minimum wage, uh, the $15 an hour minimum wage. So the question is, you know, is this a is this a prudential thing to do? Should we should we move to a fifteen dollar minimum wage? And here, so the right, so the Catholic Church says you need to have some concern for the poor. Uh, the question is, would a fifteen dollar minimum wage actually help the poor? And so you had Dr. Ramos on last month. I I've read a number of economists on this, and they disagree mm-hmm. <laughs> on whether it will help or not help. So there's all kinds of factors involved there. So I would say it's a prudential judgment mm-hmm. uh, that one makes about whether to go in this direction. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't seem to. It seems to me the principle is make sure that that policy does not harm the poor. Mm-hmm. But in practice, which which policy will harm the poor more or less? That, I think, is a prudential judgment that has to be made on the basis of all the information, gathering all the information you possibly can. So there, are, there is no set of rules that you can just plug into a formula and spit out the right outcome. You've, you've got to have this personal virtue, even if you're a, a politician, in order to exercise the kind of uh, governance that's necessary to promote the common good. Is that what you're saying? I would say especially if you're a politician, yeah. <laughs> not, not just if you are, but especially, yes, that – and what does that mean? It means, in part, mastering the kind of the kind of details which we sometimes tend to put off as insignificant. <laughs> so but those are, in fact, important for making right judgments about things. So let's 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 now take this back to our 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 listeners. One thing that I I like to conclude the the program with is is. Um, some ways in which they can learn more about about the virtue that we're talking about in this case prudence and and if you have any suggestions for for ways in which they can uh, more deeply inculcate this virtue in their own life and and exercise it well i'm not sure i'm the right person to do that but <laughs> <laughs> but, but i'll give it a shot anyway i would say the best place for uh, certainly for listeners of of this program to go would be to the catechism the catholic church has a very fine discussion brief enough uh, on the question of the cardinal virtues, in particular of prudence, uh, it's, it begins at section 1803 uh, of the Catechism, dealing with the, part three, the life of Christ. Uh, chapter one uh, deals with, with the virtues, a very good place. Um, that passage from the Catechism leads us back, as it ought to, to the Bible, uh, which has something to say about prudence, in particular uh, the listing of them, at least in the Book of Wisdom, uh, which suggests these are, in fact, Catholic virtues. They're not just virtues for uh, others. Um and uh, uh, we had talked uh, briefly before uh, uh, Joseph Pieper's book titled The Four Cardinal Virtues. Right. I think it's a very fine work uh, on all of these, and yeah. I, I would highly recommend the discussion uh, there. Yeah, Ignatius Press reissued that a, a few years ago, and it's a very fine um, and, and uh, 
inexpensive collection. So. Could I also say maybe they can go to the SUMA? Can, can they do that? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> sure. Right. Please, I got to throw in the SUMA <laughs> every every one of my interviews. Okay, yeah. but yeah. Uh, no, actually, this you know, of course, Thomas Aquinas dissects it many different ways, a lot of different articles. So uh, when you when you've gone through the Catechism and the Bible, then uh, maybe the third choice would be go to the SUMA and see what Thomas has to say. Absolutely, and I would say that that uh, what people ought to recognize about such works is that they're not only great work books, but they're good books. Yeah, right. and and easy enough to assess. That's right. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, thank you so much. Dr. Jonathan Sanford, again, he is the Dean of the Constantine College of Liberal Arts and uh, comes in once a month, and uh, I just love how systematic you are. I should expect that out of a, of a professor, that you've got the, the syllabus all lined up for the uh, as we go through these uh, cardinal virtues. So thank you very much, and Dr. Dockery, thank you for coming here as well. My pleasure. Yeah, this is, this is great. Thank you, Dave. For more productions like this, you can visit us on SoundCloud or iTunes by searching University of Dallas. Thank you for joining us. 